With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning, folks. My name is Martin Shields, and I'm a wealth manager at Boucher Financial Group, and I'm going to be your host today for Let's Talk Money. It's great to be here with you on this chilly, chilly winter morning to answer any questions you have regarding your financial planning or investment management concerns. And you can reach me at 1-800-TALK-WGY. That's 800-825-5949. Again, it's 800-825-5949. It's great to have all of our weekly listeners back and to any new listeners. It's great to have you here. I hope that you're doing well on this, again, wintery morning. Um, you know, it's definitely, you get these changes in temperatures. Yesterday, it was in the 40s. I went out in the morning at our house, and I felt like it could be a spring morning, and not not today. Definitely a little chilly, but hopefully you're getting out and enjoying it. And we've got a lot going on. We have the Olympics going on, and uh, we've been watching a lot of different events. And I'll tell you, you watch these, these Olympic events, and... You know, you realize, one, how amazing these athletes are. I mean, the stuff that they're doing, you know, we're watching the half pipe and just the skiing. It is, they, they push themselves so much. They're in such great physical shape and just even the mental uh, discipline, just to, from the training to, you know, just focusing on what they're doing. It's, it really is mind-boggling. But, you know, you also see, and you saw this in the Summer Olympics, that they're human, right? Uh, you know, Michaela Schiffer, who was kind of a, seemed like she was going to be winning potentially four medals or four golds or whatever, and uh, has struggled. And, uh, you know, even a Sean White, right, who's uh, had so many, so much success since 2006 in the half pipe. And, uh, you know, he came in fourth. And, you know, you see some of the young competitors coming up and in that sport. And it's just the stuff that they're doing. I can only imagine what it looks like in person. Uh, on TV, it doesn't look like it's real. So in person. But, uh, you know these these people they are able to push themselves and they're just they're just human and uh, you know times uh you know whether it be physical or mental breaks they they break down too so uh lots of interesting stuff and of course the super bowl and i was just talking to our producer zach about who he's rooting for and uh he's he's rooting for the the rams he likes uh, stafford he was talking about how good he thinks stafford is uh, zach if you want to chime in there and uh, your perspective. Uh, what, what what do you think is great about him? Is his his arm, his his ability to evade being tackled? Anything in particular? He's got elite talent. He's got a strong arm, but he can also have a lot of touch on the ball when he needs to. And he's just been on a very bad team in Detroit for twelve years, and it's about time he gets his due. Yeah, you think about that. Twelve years being on a team when you know you're a Super Bowl caliber player, and uh, it's a long time coming, isn't it? Very much so. So I hope he does get this one. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting stuff. I, both these QBs and his Burroughs, right? And he's, you know, saying to Zach, like, just seems like one of the nicest guys around. And boy, he's good. You know, you know, with LSU, he was good. And then you see him second year coming through, uh, you know, kind of shades of Tom Brady, right? Of coming, stepping up as a young player and 
potentially bring your team to the quarterback. So should be an interesting game. And uh, so hopefully you'll be spending some time with friends and family doing that. And, uh, you know, as we come out of uh, Omicron and, uh, you know, uh, kind of maybe get back to normal, it would be good stuff. But boy, in the markets, uh, you know, this week, it was a little bit of a roller coaster. You look like you were going to kind of be moving higher uh, with the markets up about a percent and a half, uh, almost two, two percent, depending on the indice you're looking at midweek. And then, you know, Thursday and Friday hit and boy, went the other way real quickly. And certainly Friday, um, you know, things looked like they were kind of moderating, but at the end of the day kind of fell apart and pick, pick your reason, right? Pick your reason why uh, that happened. Uh, certainly you had the high inflation number that hit in um, on Thursday, 40 year high at 7.5% uh, above expectations. They were still high. I mean, they still had expectations were in the 7% range. Uh, so, but it was above that. And uh, then you had the Michigan consumer sentiment uh, that came in much lower than expected. Um, and, you know, that is, as we've talked about in the radio program, the consumer is the king, right? The consumer is the main driver behind our, the U.S. economy. And to the extent that there is weakness with the consumer and their spending, that can be a problem. And then finally, uh, with Ukraine, the U.S. government basically indicating to any citizens that they should be leaving. Um, they look at you know what's going on with Russia and their military, whether it be their navy uh, around Ukraine or just where they're moving uh, different troops and the amount of troops that it looks like an invasion may be imminent. And so lots of different headline risk out there. I think as I look at this, you know, the main headline risk is uh, the main risk for this year is inflation. That that by far is is the the real risk. I think when it comes to Ukraine, I mean, there is the what's called a tail risk, uh, and a tail risk is just simply meaning that you look at the probability of, of something occurring and uh, the likelihood of it, and that there is a tail risk. I mean, it's very far far out in the tail, very unlikely to happen. That you know they there's both an invasion and something even more dramatic from there to happen. But I, you know, I hope for boy, for the people in Ukraine that there is not an invasion, uh, you know, that talking about casualties anywhere from 10 to 50,000 people. That's just mind boggling. And, you know, in this day and age of relative uh, peace and tranquility from a global perspective, uh, you know, to think about a major country invading another one, uh, it's, it's hard to fathom actually. And, you know, <clears throat> Russia, you know, there's certainly many reasons why I would do this. And certainly the, the saber, rattling, saber rattling and, you know, ability to influence certain uh, elements of, um, you know, getting some things from the U.S. or Europe that they're looking to do. But, uh, you know, think about the amount of resources they're putting in this and the lives at stake. So uh, you hope that, one, that there is not an invasion. But two, if it happens, uh, you know, they talk about different ways this invasion could happen. Hopefully it's uh, in, in a minimal uh, type of impact. But with that said, I do feel like that piece is probably more of a headline risk, meaning that, uh, you know, it's something that, it, you know, great buying opportunity if the market were to go down 5% from an invasion. But I do feel like at some point or another, there becomes a, a way that it is handled without it continuing to escalate. But, you know, it's not a given. It is not a given. And I always say we live in a world of global risk. 
And uh, when people ask why they're not, uh, you know, why, why not to be in 100% equities, uh, is that, you know, in situations like this, people don't have the risk tolerance to be in 100% equities. Uh, you know, certainly if you wanted to maximize your return, then that's where you are. You, you have 100% equities because over time, uh, that's what's going to give you the greatest amount of return. But in the short run, uh, you know, we've seen this just year to date. You know, when you start hitting that volatility that we haven't had in uh, a year or so, well, that becomes a problem. And people just are not able to handle it. But folks, if you have any questions, give me a call. You can reach me at 800 talk WGY. That is 800-825-5949. So, you know, when you look at inflation, uh, we're hitting an all-time high. And <clears throat> there was a number, of, we have a blogs that we put out on our website, boucher.com, uh, on a weekly basis. And we're fortunate to have just a great team of uh, knowledgeable folks, experts in a lot of different areas. And Jason Alonzo put out a great blog. He's our co-chief investment officer about inflation and how it is getting driven by different factors, right? It's not just one area that drives inflation. It is labor uh, costs that's driving inflation. It's supply chain that's driving uh, inflation. It is high demand that's driving inflation. All these factors come together. Uh, but when you look at inflation, you know, the real problem is, <clears throat> you know, if you're holding conservative assets like cash, if you're holding conservative assets, assets like um, many bonds, that you have two pieces. One is that the your purchasing power with those conservative assets is declining uh, very dramatically, right? So you know people were the, were that were in cash back, uh, you know, in let's say 2013 or whatever, you know, they were losing their purchasing power, but at about a one or two percent. Uh, click a year. And even, you know, along those lines, it might even be less than that because back in 2000, let's say 13, you could get probably a CD rate or even a money market rate that might be 1%. So, you know, it might even be close to a break even on your decline in purchasing power um, if you're holding cash or in, in a cons very conservative asset. Now, boy, it has changed dramatically, right? So, uh, you know, for most cases, if you're holding cash and you have it in a bank, a money market, you're owning or earning close to zero. It is really close to zero that you're earning on that cash. Whereas if you have inflation, you know, let's just even say that doesn't stay at 7%, but it's at four or 5%. So you're, that's that four or 5% increase in inflation is increasing cost. So you're earning nothing on your conservative investment, but costs are going up by four or 5%. So your purchasing power is actually declining. And this is true even with, you know, any sort of rate of return. Uh, you know, there's what's called the nominal rate, which is the rate that you earn on that asset. And then there's the real rate, which is the nominal rate less inflation, right? So you have to really appreciate that. So even last year when you had these stellar rates uh, of return on equities, you have to at least discount that or take away uh, the cost of inflation. So, you know, you were minusing anywhere from about about 6% uh, on those great rates of return. And that, that you know, because that's at the end of the day, you're using this money to, to spend. And so, uh, you know, with any investment you're looking at, you have to consider that. So the people that get hit the worst uh, in these times of inflation uh, tend to be first lower income folks. That It's more difficult for them to absorb these higher costs. 
and then also conservative investors uh, because you know that with any of this volatility they want to become more conservative and when this happens uh, you know they really get hit hard by that again that negative real rate of return if they're holding cash or bonds and if we talked about this with bonds as rates move higher and you have the 10 years treasury moving above two percent right so think about that range of movement that we've seen in the 10-year uh, U.S. Treasury rate. And that again, this is the benchmark interest rate that if you're talking about, hey, where do interest rates stand? Mo most people are going to talk to you about is this rate. Um, and back in 2020, it hit 0.05, 0.06%. So, right, so one half, one, uh, two-thirds of a percent. And in about less than two years, it's gone up from there to over 2%. And now it, it pulled back a little bit on Friday uh, to below 2%, but that's where it hit on Thursday, it was over 2%. So real dramatic change in that. And boy, you're seeing it in the Barclays Bond Index, which is the main index uh, to look at uh, performance of bonds in, uh, in the markets. And it's down almost 4%. So, you know, you're seeing that dramatic impact by rising interest rates. And this is what we've talked about, which is, you know, as much as it may be difficult to, you know, be in some allocation in, in stocks. And there's going to be volatility this year, absolutely volatility. And, you know, the performance you see in stocks may be well below uh, what we saw last year and maybe below average performance. So, you know, if average performance is eight and a half, nine and a half percent, you could be in low, mid, single digits. Uh, but when you compare that to other more conservative asset classes, it really is a case that, you know, still having that allocation to equities over more conservative asset classes is going to be benefit, benefit most investors. It really is. And that's where you have to have that mindset because inflation just wears away at both conservative investments, but also bonds with rising interest rates and the impact on them. Folks, we're going to go to commercial break, but come back and join us as we continue our discussion and we take your questions. You're listening to Let's Talk Money on News Radio WGY, 103.0 FM, 810 AM. Welcome back, folks. For those of you just joining us, my name is Martin Shields. I'm a certified financial planner and wealth manager at Boucher Financial Group. And it's great to be here with you. I'm giving my colleague, Stephen Boucher, a well-deserved break. Uh, and I encourage you to call in with any questions. You can reach me at 800-TALK-WGY. That's 800-825-5949. So we were uh, with my family, went out skiing yesterday up at Gore Mountain, and just a great day. Uh, it was a really interesting day because in the beginning, uh, it was warm. It was very warm. A little windy, but, uh, you know, almost spring conditions down in the lower part of the mountain. But as the day wore on, uh, the temperatures dropped and that wind continued. It even picked up, I mean, up on the top of the mountain. It was blustery, very blustery. Uh, but I want to say uh, congrats to my daughter, Tess. Uh, my son, Hayden, is a very good skier. And uh, he, uh, Tess, is an eighth grader. And he was able to... <laughs> Uh, entice her to go out and to uh, go down Rumors, which is a double black diamond. Uh, my wife and I, my daughter, were more conservative skiers, and certainly uh, now as we've gotten older, just you know, be a little smarter with it. So we just uh, did not do that, but we watched them come down. And uh, Tess, as an eighth grader, made it down quite well. So 
uh, kudos to her to take on that challenge and do well with it. And I hope that you're doing well on this nice winter morning and staying warm and maybe having some breakfast. Uh, whatever, whatever you're doing, it's great to be here with you. And it's great to take any questions you may have regarding your investments or your financial planning. And you can reach me at 800-TALK-WGY. That's 800-825-49. I'm sorry, 5949. So, you know, folks, I want to talk to you about things that we see on a daily, weekly basis when we talk to our clients. So, you know, when we're constantly meeting with our clients, talking about investments and talking about financial planning, we see trends of things that come up of people are talking about. And, you know, one of my colleagues, uh, Harmony Wagner, wrote, wrote a great blog on, you know, why to do a rollover out of a 401k uh, into an IRA. And we talk about that, that, you know, in pretty much every circumstance, uh, you know, that's something that you should be looking to do. And I always make the, the one qualification is that you have a plan uh, of where to roll that money into, right? You can't just, you know, roll it into an IRA and start picking stocks if that's not what you do. So you have to have a really well thought out plan of what, how that money is going to be used, whether it's working with an advisor or, you know, that you're going to manage it. Something that you are, it's well thought out, uh, that's going to be a good approach to taking care of that money. But in, in general, from a, you know, for most cases, it, it makes sense to do that. Now, there are a few exceptions uh, to that. One of, one of the exceptions to that is there are plans that allow you to take distributions uh, at before age 59 and a half. Some are as early as 51, others are at age 55. And you can do that with an IRA, but you have to do what's called a 72T distribution in order, in order to do that without paying the 10% uh, early withdrawal penalty. So, you know, there are ways to do that with an IRA, but, you know, with a, a number of 401k plans, you can do that uh, before age 59 and a half. But in many other cases, it really makes sense from cost perspective, from an investment options perspective, even from a flexibility perspective, uh, it makes sense to, to roll it into an IRA. But one of the questions that we get is um, about having diversification with financial custodians. And, you know, all that means is that, you know, when we talk to clients, they talk about the potential or perceived value of having investments in with a number of, you know, again, financial custodians. So Fidelity or Vanguard or whoever it may be that there's actually a benefit by having uh, a number, you know, not just one, not having all your assets consolidated with one. And, you know, what I would tell folks, and they, they quite often bring up uh, FDIC insurance with banks, right? And, you know, the fact that banks are insured, if you have an account at a bank, uh, based on the uh, naming of that account, uh, it's insured up to $250,000 by the FDIC, which is the federal uh, insurance for banks. And, you know, and they kind of make that same comparison to their uh, investment account. And, you know, I think it's important to remember that, you know, first of all, all banks, uh, all investment accounts are protected by SPIC insurance, which is similar to FDIC insurance. Uh, it's actually up to a half million dollars for SPIC insurance. But the other thing is most financial custodians are then insured. And I know with Charles Schwab, on top of that, anywhere from five to $10 million per account uh, through private insurance, right? Uh, so you have a, a significant amount of insurance on top of that uh, SPIC insurance. But the other big thing to remember with this is with these big uh, financial custodians, 
that their main job when it comes down to it is to make sure that your assets are protected and their future success uh, is absolutely based on their ability to do that. So I know, again, working with Charles Schwab, and I know that I'm assuming Fidelity or Vanguard is the same way, that they're going to do everything they can to be conservative with the with your investments and how they run the business, because that is going to prove their success in the future, right? And I think I it can contrast that to, to banks that, again, are trying to be very prudent with their investments and, and how they use the cash that's uh, provided to them through uh, their banking customers, but there's an inherent risk of them lending money to businesses, to real estate projects, to consumers that, you know, they may default on those loans, right? And that's what happened in 08, 09, uh, when obviously the great financial crisis happened and the uh, recession, that banks made loans that were not prudent, right? And many of the banks went under, but even in those cases, they actually did not, in most cases, did not use the FDIC insurance. Basically, what happened was the Federal Reserve found other banks to take over those banks. And so that all the deposits that creditors made were secured through that, right? So no issues with those deposits. They didn't even have to use, in most cases, the FDIC insurance. And the other bank, the larger bank, the healthier bank, just took those banks over. Now, with when it came to kind of investment brokerages, the only companies that got themselves in trouble were like a Lehman Brothers or Bear Stearns or a Merrill Lynch that had a investment banking component to it and a trading component to it so that they're either trading and or investment banking made decisions that got themselves in trouble, right? So, you know, Merrill did, made decisions that they took on too much risk, got themselves in trouble. And again, the Federal Reserve had to step in and coordinate Bank of America to take them over. Now, when it came to a Schwab or a Fidelity, no issues, no, no issues whatsoever, because guess what? They're not engaged in that type of behavior. They're not trading on uh, any assets. Uh, they are not uh, doing any investment banking and they never will. And I, I make the example of State Street Bank. So many people may not be familiar with State Street Bank, but uh, you know it is a one of the oldest and largest financial custodians, and it's been around since 1790. So again, if you're Fidelity, Vanguard, or whatever, you're looking at State Street saying, hey, that's how we're gonna approach our business, and we're gonna make sure we minimize the risk. So again, for anybody who's thinking about diversifying with one financial custodian, it really, there's not much risk there, first of all, and having all your assets at one Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, entity makes your life a lot easier. So I would really encourage you to rethink that, um, your, your views on that and the benefits of consolidating. Well, folks, we're going to go to commercial break, but come back and join us as we continue our discussion and we take your question. You're listening to Let's Talk Money on News Radio WGY, 103.1 FM and 810 AM. Welcome back, folks. For those of you who are just joining us, my name is Martin Shields, and I'm your host today for Let's Talk Money. I'm giving my colleague Stephen Boucher a well-deserved break, and it's great to be here with you on this wintry Sunday morning to answer any questions you may have regarding your financial planning or investment management concerns. And I encourage you to call in with those questions. You can reach me at 800-TALK-WGY. That's 800-825-5949. Again, 800 8255949. And as I always say, there's no silly or dumb question except for the one you don't ask. And you may be doing your fellow listener a favor by asking that question that they have as well. So give us a call. So boy, I actually didn't know that this was the 100th anniversary of WGY. That, that really is amazing when you think about it. So 1922, just a few years after uh, World War One, and uh, the Spanish flu that uh, the station was started. Really amazing. Uh, we're very proud to be associated with WGY. And, uh, you know, Steve's had the his program on here for, I'm going to get this wrong, but I think 25 years, uh, but many years. And now we have the two programs, uh, noon on Saturday and 8 a.m. on Sundays. And it's great to be associated with uh, such a historic uh, station. Uh, I know that, you know, the go, the footprint is huge uh, where the, uh, you can actually get WGY and you can get it around the world now, right? On uh, I love our iHeartRadio. So uh, it's great to be uh, having a show on WGY and, and uh, with a station with such a long history. But uh, folks, we're here to talk about finances and investments. And, you know, one of the things that uh, came up as a question, uh, the caller uh, ended up having to hang up, but uh, was, question on rising real estate cost and what's driving it and will ever settle down. And, and so, you know, certainly, you know, there's a number of things driving that the high real estate cost. One is, uh, you know, strong economy. Uh, you know, if, if people are getting raises and you had all that financial uh, money coming in from the federal government, uh, that is going to drive people to uh, buy real estate, right? Uh, the other thing that's really important has been low interest rates. I mentioned uh, in the first half of the show that the 10-year U.S. Treasury back in 2020 went to uh, 0.5, right? So 
very, very low uh, interest rates that translated into low mortgage rates, right? So you could get, there's one point where you get a 30 year uh, fixed mortgage rate for almost under 3%. I think it actually was, I think it was 2.9% at one point. So you think about that, you know, that $300,000, $400,000, $500,000 home, whatever level of that home that you're looking to buy, uh, if you can finance it at a rate that is significantly lower, well, that lowers the overall cost uh, to the uh, purchaser. So that has really, so you got strong labor markets, uh, strong economy, and then you have uh, very low interest rates. And the other thing that's really existed too, which is you actually have had a lack of both home creation. So this is people creating homes, couples, uh, you know, starting homes. You had more and more people, you know, living in the parents' basement uh, as a younger person. Uh, trying to save money because of high student debt. You've actually also, relatively speaking, had have had fewer um, home construction than in almost many times in the last 30 or 40 years. So, you know, you came off of 07, 0, you know, 05, 06, 07. We had so many homes being built uh, and then you had, you know, excess of uh, inventory. And then for the last 10 years, the number of homes being built was actually be well below uh, the historic average. And to the point where, you know, one of the issues that you have is not just high demand, but low supply. So relatively speaking, not a lot of supply of new homes. And those two together really have caused real estate costs to go up. So to this caller's question, uh, you know, one of the things that will, the two main elements that will impact, uh, you know, real estate cost is one, is there something on demand side that shifts? And you kind of hope that doesn't happen because that's going to mean that uh, either, you know, wages are declining or the economy is weakening. I don't really see that happening. I think uh, the economy will remain strong. And I think wages will continue to remain strong and, and kind of move higher. But the other piece that I do see uh, changing, uh, one is supply. I think, you know, that's one where, you know, builders would love to uh, provide more homes. So I think that could change. Uh, the only thing is I do talk to, talking to builders, you know, there is a challenge when you've got such constraints for materials to build a home, right? So that, that's that, that is something that could, could change that. But the other thing that will kind of plateau cost uh, is rising interest rates, right? So, you know, that if it's a, if it's a consumer that was going to be looking to buy a home at $350,000 and um, they were looking at an interest rate of, you know, 3% or so, now that moves up to three and a half to 4%. As that moves up, that cost of that home becomes uh, progressively more expensive. And so the, the demand and the ability for multiple offers to exist for the home starts to decline. Um, you know, that starts to move in a, a little bit different fashion. You know, the other element is also with uh, COVID, you had a lot of folks that moved from big urban areas, whether it be Boston or New York, to smaller areas, uh, urban areas, you know, like the greater capital region. And that really drove a lot of supply. I'm sure, you know, anecdotally, you, you've seen that. Uh, I know in our neighborhood, there was at least one or two people that moved up from uh, the city that were basically kind of done with New York City, maybe in a, in a position to uh, move up there because of working remotely, but then also in a position to move up there because they were just you know done with dealing either dealing with the city and or dealing with the city with COVID, and so they were moving up. Now, as we hopefully move away from COVID, 
that may change. I think you have less, you know, people moving out of big urban areas uh, into uh, small areas like this and driving demand. But I, I think you're going to start to see uh, costs plateau at least. They may not drop dramatically, but they're going to plateau. Now, you know, the impact with that is, uh, you know, maybe a little bit less of a seller's market, but also, you know, those costs are going to increase for everybody unless you're paying for cash, right? And you could be selling a home and taking that equity to buy another home, in which case, if you're not financing it, uh, you know, it's not as expensive as interest rates rise. But the other thing to remember is, you know, even as rates rise, they are still at historic lows, right? I mean, you know, you said, I mean, think about it. I remember just 10, 15 years ago when rates were at five or 6%, those were good rates then, right? That, those were great rates then. So even though that they've moved up the all time lows, and so it's going to look like houses are more expensive, relative speaking, they're still at very good rates. Uh, so it's still, you know, I would say if you're a home buyer, uh, you know, it's all about what's your time horizon. It's just like being an investor. You know, if you think you might be buying a home that you could be in there for 10, 15 plus years, it's still a good time to buy. Now, if you're more uncertain as to how long you're going to be in there, you have to remember with real estate, it does tend to move up, but it's not always, uh, you know, a constant trend, uh, trendward line moving up. Uh, the, the other thing with that is there's transaction cost, both when you're buying and selling that home, there's transaction costs to get in there. Plus, the other thing people don't really consider when they're buying a home is just the maintenance cost uh, that you have with maintaining that home. And, you know, we've talked with, you know, both people that are just renters right now, and they're maybe moving into retirement. And the question is, should they buy a home as they move into retirement and have a mortgage? And, you know, with rates as low as they are, uh, you know, having a mortgage in retirement is still, it can be a little bit more problematic because now you got a fixed cost that you got to pay regardless. But let's just say that you are, uh, <clears throat> you don't have a house and you're deciding whether to rent or whether to buy in retirement, either option could work, right? And I always say is if you're going to buy a house as you go into retirement, you might as well get a 30-year mortgage. You know, just assume that you're going to have that mortgage for the rest of your life. Uh, if I would, I would always joke is if, if you get a 50 year mortgage, that's what you'd want to do is get, get a mortgage that you can stand it as long as you can. Uh, and you know, it could still work. I mean, chances are if you're in your mid sixties and you're buying a house, you, know, you may be in there for 10, 15, 20 years, but you're probably going to downsize. Most people do as they get older, uh, whether it's into more of a retirement community or just into a smaller place. So even there, you're probably not going to have it for the full 30 years of the mortgage. But at the same time, you know, if you want to rent in retirement, it's not a bad idea, idea either. The only problem with that is now your, your expense for living for that rental is not fixed in retirement, right? So it may be a good rate uh, right now, but let's say it starts moving upward in the place that you're renting and you want to stay there. Well, now your cost for being there is going to increase. So that's the only challenge when it comes to uh, renting in retirement is that it's not a fixed cost. You may, it may move up over time, but there are advantages as well. It gives you complete flexibility. You know, you want to move someplace or, you know, where your kids and grandkids are, you want to move uh, someplace warmer, whatever the case you, you, it may be, you have complete flexibility to move. The other element, and again, this is a real cost savings, is that, you know, you're not paying for property taxes. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're not paying. You're maybe paying for renter's insurance, but you're not paying for homeowners, which is renters is much cheaper. And you're not paying for any maintenance cost. And, you know, as you get older, uh, you know, my mom is in her uh, late 80s. And, you know, my father passed away two years ago. So she's dealing with the house that they've had for 50 plus years. And she loves the house. But. You know, it's a lot of work on her end to make sure she's staying on top of things and investing back in the house to keep it in good shape. And so you have to appreciate that both the time, the effort, the stress, the money to keep a home uh, versus renting, uh, you know, that can be a real benefit. So, you know, it's not as though being in retirement and renting uh, is the absolute worst situation. It can actually be benefit beneficial uh, depending on your circumstances. Well, folks, we're going to go to commercial break, but come back and join us as we continue to take your questions and give you guidance on your financial planning and investment management. You're listening to Let's Talk Money on News Radio WGY, 103.1 FM and 810 AM. Welcome back, folks. My name is Martin Shields. I'm your host today for Let's Talk Money. And I'm here to take any questions you may have regarding your financial planning or investment management concerns. And you can reach me at 800-TALK-WGY. That's 800-825-5949. Again, 800-825-5949. So one of the things that I, I want to kind of bring to your attention and, and, and highlight, uh, you know, we deal with a lot of financial custodians. Uh, we deal with, you name it, uh, when new clients are transferring in. We're constantly working, I mean, you name it, Nationwide, Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, you, you name the financial custodian and we're dealing with them. Three, I wanna highlight, just to the extent that I'm telling you, every time we have a transfer coming in from one of these three, it's a challenge. And the only reason I bring this to your attention is just if you are in a situation where you're maybe gonna potentially work with one of these three, just to be aware, right? And, you know, I always make the observation that you can tell how good a financial custodian is uh, as far as really kind of looking out after, uh, you know, their clients, their customers, by how, how willing they, they are to helping them transfer their assets out, right? So this means that they're losing their business, but if they're good, they're going to do the right thing. And they're going to help facilitate that transfer in a very easy process. And, you know, I always say, if you, you know, as we move money in from, you know, a new client coming on, if they're coming from Fidelity or they're coming from Vanguard, uh, you know, those financial custodians, they just move, they, I tell you, it's like clockwork. And, you know, because they're good and they, they will always gain new assets and they're not going to do anything to stymie the transfer of those assets because that's an inconvenience to their customers. And they never know. Those people could, could be coming back. So they're going to do the right thing. And our firm, again, we have very, very few clients that ever leave us. Our client retention rate is over 99% annually. But occasionally there's a situation that a client leaves. And many times uh, those clients have come back. We've had a number of cases uh, like that over the last year or so. But, you know, it really can be a case where, 
you know, it, it, it client leaves us, we, we, what anything we could do to find out, first of all, could we have done anything better to help them out? But we always make sure that they leave in a way that, uh, you know, we're very helpful with them with everything they need done. But the three where I'm always shakes my head, I cannot believe how difficult this is, is TI Cref, uh, AXA, and Paychex. And, you know, it just, it just blows my mind that, you know, in this uh, time frame of great, you know, businesses are going out of the way to provide great customer care and great customer service uh, that, you know, you still have companies that seem to take an opposite uh, approach. And again, I, I don't necessarily bring these financial uh, custodians up to, to give them a black eye, but I do bring them up that if you're either with them and or if you're looking at them, you might want to do a little research because, uh, you know, I don't want you to be in a situation where you're, you know, struggling trying to deal with it. And I'm going to tell you, it's almost every time we deal with them uh, that we are really just struggling to try to figure out the process, uh, you know, work with their teams and, and uh, you know, I, it's not the people who work there. It's the executives that set the, all the guidance on it that make it challenging. Well, folks, we're going to go to uh, the phone lines. We have Greg. Uh, Greg, how you doing? Greg, you there? Well, Zach, let me know if he comes back. Is it Greg, you there? Zach, let me know if he comes back on. Uh, I know he was in his car. So uh, I know I always uh, joke that driving around the Albany area in Saratoga and just uh, the whole capital region, you think sometimes we were in the middle of the Adirondacks, how bad cell service is. And it's, you know, it's always the same places, exit 13 and uh, the Northway, uh, you know, over as you head out uh, 90 uh, on the west side of the capital region. Uh, you know, again, you think the cell service would be something more similar to what you'd see uh, in the Adirondacks and more of an urban area. So kind of crazy. Uh, so we talked about the markets and, the, you know, the fact that you really – you know, saw the markets moving up and during the middle of the week and then, you know, sharp decline uh, with the higher inflation uh, rating that came out at 7.5%, higher or lower consumer sentiment that came out uh, on, on Friday, and then the concern over Ukraine. And folks, you know, it was on the news, uh, you know, just before I came on about, uh, you know, Russia potentially invading Ukraine in the middle of this week, I mean, which is just crazy to think about. But, you know, I would say let's buckle up because, you know, if that happens, there's definitely going to be more uh, volatility, absolutely more volatility. Uh, again, you know, I think if I had to pick one, one of these areas of volatility that probably is more headline risk and not anything that impacts the economy or uh, the markets long term, uh, and that would be uh, the U Ukraine situation. But, you know, as, as here I sit here, I, I don't know. Nobody knows, right? Uh, so it's not a given. But, you know, I think that definitely is more of a headline risk uh, versus inflation, where that's going to be the challenge of the Federal Reserve to kind of work through that in a way that they pull back demand a little bit. And we just talked about the housing market and how, you know, as rates go up, Demand's going to pull back a little bit, right? You know, a house that uh, you know is worth three hundred fifty thousand. You know, if that rate is higher, uh, you're going to kind of maybe move down to a three hundred thousand dollar home. So it's going to limit some of the price increases uh, and some of the de potential demand out there. And that's even true, you know, for businesses, right? Is if I'm a business, and I'm looking to expand. 
uh, you know, at, if I'm going to look to borrow money or going to start a business, I might borrow some less, uh, uh, smaller amounts of money uh, if the rate uh, starts to move higher. So, you know, I do feel like, I, I think the Federal Reserve can um, go through this in a way that they are able to limit some of the demand uh, without uh, pushing us into a recession. Uh, and, uh, but it's not, that's where, that's where that challenge lies, right? It's, it's not, uh, always easy. And, uh, you know, without a doubt, it's going to come with some bumps as far as, uh, where the markets stand and, you know, volatility. And, you know, that's what I would say is, you know, we've talked about this for the next 10 years. Uh, you know, as we look out, you know, you may see, uh, lower than average returns in the markets. And this year could be indicative of that as well. Right. So, uh, in the last 10, 12 years, uh, you have markets returning 12, 13, 14%. Now it's coming off of the March 09 lows, but still very strong uh, equity performance. And you know, I think it's important to say, hey, the next 10 years may not be uh, as strong. You could have below average performance. And you know, that's how you have average performance is that you, know, you have periods of time and they quite often go in, in stretches of five or 10 years where you have above market performance and you have periods of time where it could be below market performance and you know you think about it you know it, it, everybody loves to get uh, you know mid low teen uh, returns on uh, their performance with equities but even if it's you know five six percent uh, you know that's just something to be aware of uh, as an investor that that could be the case and even certainly in 2022 uh, that that could be the case kind of being aware of that it just makes you a, a better investor uh, but it's still, uh, when you look at it versus alternative investments uh, like cash or, uh, or bonds, uh, it's still by far the best investment out there. And you know, for people that are either in any stage of their life, they need to have that growth. And it's the reason why you need to have the allocation to equities. But the other thing to remember too is that you know, it's not a given that that's gonna happen, meaning that there are a lot of uh, reasons out there uh, in particular, one is technology, while where companies could actually really dramatically increase their productivity and their profitability that could push rate uh, market performance above its average. Uh, and, you know, I think it's important to be aware of that, right? Uh, and that's where trying to time the markets or to think that you're smarter than the markets and other investors, uh, it's not a great idea because, you know, if you have things like artificial intelligence and you know, companies really investing in green energy and electric vehicles, you know, so many different things that can happen that could increase productivity in ways that we can't even anticipate, right? That's the thing to remember is that future uh, out there is unknown. Uh, so there are risks out there, but there are also opportunities. And I think that's an important thing as an investor is to realize that, you know, first and foremost, uh, you know, like Warren Buffett says, do not, do not bet against the U.S. economy. It is not going to, it's, it may be in the short run, uh, there can be issues, but in the long run, uh, it's going to find ways to be successful. And, you know, you want to make sure that you're considering that uh, as an investor and you're not trying to get too smart or cute with it because so often it doesn't work out right when you do that. Uh, just having that long-term perspective is so important. Well, folks, it's been a great hour here with you. Uh, I hope you learned a little bit that you can implement in your own personal situation and that you maybe got some clarity on where we're going with this markets. But it's great to be here with you. 
I hope you have a great day today and you enjoy uh, time with your friends and family if you're watching the Super Bowl or whatever that you're doing. And come back and join us next week. You're listening to Let's Talk Money on News Radio WGY, 103.1 FM, 810 AM. Take care of yourself and take care of others, folks. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.